All right, well, we're continuing in our series that we're calling The New Life. We're in part five already. And since it is Father's Day weekend, we're gonna have a, a, a man-focused service today. And the sermon title is Man Up. You know, I'm calling men to step up. It's Father's Day weekend. Let's call men up. So I wanna call everyone up. You know, everybody, hey, let's step up here, but especially men, let's rise up and take our place. I've been married for over 30 years. Next month will be my 31st wedding anniversary. I've got three grown boys in their 20s and just very, uh, you know, it's, it's a wonderful experience being a father and being a husband, but it can have its challenges too. Parenting has its challenges. Being married has its challenges. I always make the joke, you know, this will be our 31st wedding anniversary in July. And I'll make the joke, you know, like celebrating 23 years of wedded bliss on our 31st wedding anniversary, you know, because guess what? Sometimes it's a challenge. Sometimes it's tough. It's not always easy. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today in calling everyone up, but especially men to rise up and take their place. Over 30 years of marriage, I want to talk about something that happened at about the two-year mark. So at about the one year mark, my wife's marriage wasn't going very well, but mine was fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I did not notice that she wasn't happy. I was living life and going forward and, and not really understanding where she was at. And then I started to understand things weren't really working. And isn't that a lot of times how it goes? You know, the, the man in the relationship oftentimes lags behind the woman in understanding that there's some marriage problems, there's some communication issues, there's some things that aren't working. You know, the guys don't usually notice that as quickly. And so that was certainly the case in my life. And then it wasn't working. It was tough. And here's the basic uh, foundation of the problem, the issues, where they came from. So I was a new believer. You know, by the time we got married, I, I'd only been a believer for like three years. And I had, you know, I'm just trying to piece it together at that point and just kind of still learning and growing and uh, just trying to even figure out the plan of redemption, the gospel message, what's the Bible talking about? You know, I mean, it just, it took me a long time to get a, a basic sense of what was happening. And uh, so I'm a new believer I was the youngest child in the birth order with a fairly domineering mother, you know, and, uh, you know, I learned that the easiest way to make it through life was smile and just go where you're told to go, you know, so I just smiled and went with the flow and it worked out great. You know, that was a very good childhood strategy. Be the youngest, be cute, smile, go wherever everybody else is going. That was what I learned. So then I ended up being pretty easygoing, pretty passive, a people pleaser, you know, just trying to be nice and make it all work out by smiling my way through life. So that's kind of who I was. My wife was an established Christian. You know, she came to the Lord. She's four years old. She doesn't remember. She never remembers not being a believer. You know, she understood the gospel, how all that stuff worked. She knew more about the things of God than I did. And, you know, so, so she sort of 
had an advantage in that respect. She also was the oldest in the birth order. She had two younger siblings, several years younger than her, like five and seven or something like that. And uh, then, you know, she was also kind of an aggressive, pushy sort of person. And so she had this way of being, you know, this kind of pushy, needy, oldest child, uh, strong-willed kind of person. I was the easygoing, youngest child, passive, people pleaser. And that was not working after about a year to two years of marriage. Um, It wasn't working. She was unhappy. I was unhappy. It was turning into a mess. It wasn't going well. And we were reading in the Bible, and we read in the Bible, which we'll look at later on in the sermon here, we read in the Bible about how the husband is the spiritual head of the home. The husband is the head of the wife. And, you know, like, wow, I hadn't really thought along those lines before. Like, that's an interesting thing for the Bible to say. And we decided, you know, to just give the short version, we decided, well, this isn't working. Let's try what the Bible says. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, this isn't working. Maybe let's do what the Bible says. So basically she was the head of the home and I was just the puppy dog that followed along. And then we just made the conscious decision. Okay, I'm going to do what makes me uncomfortable. I'm going to take a leadership role. She's going to do what makes her uncomfortable and, you know, follow and let's go from there. We changed it up and I got to tell you, God showed up. In three months, like every decision that I made worked great. Whenever she took over and she's like, that's ridiculous, we're doing this, it would fall apart. And we paid off all of our credit card debt and everything was working well. And my wife talks about, you know, tongue in cheek, you know, like getting a a mild form of PTSD is where she didn't want to make any decisions because she knew it wouldn't work. And, uh, uh, it just was, God was showing us, hey, you are doing what the Bible says, you know, good for you. And there's a lesson in that. That is obedience to God's word can bring some shockingly good results. So uh, read it, put it into practice. You know, there's a learning curve there, but uh, let's go ahead Read the scriptures and try to put them into practice. They can bring shocking results when we are obedient to the scriptures. So I want to talk about what it means, you know, hey, fathers out there, what does it mean to be the spiritual head of the home? What does it mean to be a leader spiritually in your home? What does that look like? So I did a uh, a breakout session at our men's retreat called Men's Advance, you know, because men don't retreat, they advance. You know, anyway, if you, I'll let that one go. There's stuff I could say about that. But I, I did a breakout session for the guys there called Spiritual Head of the Home, Bully or Wimp, you know. And at that stage, I was pretty much the wimp, you know, and I needed to take responsibility, take leadership. And did that mean that I go from being a wimp to being a bully? The answer is Absolutely not. It's not about being a bully. It's not about being a wimp. Now, let's talk about the bully thing. We're going to get into uh, Ephesians chapter 5, and this has got some language in it that's been exploited in the past to create unhealthy relationships. I'm not going there at all. There is 
absolutely no room for spiritual bullies that are claiming, well, I'm just being the head of the home like the Bible says, and you're a spiritual bully. That is absolutely out of bounds. That is not what God wants. Being the spiritual head of the home is not an advantage that you get to exploit. It's a responsibility that you will be held accountable for. Let me say that again. As the man, as the spiritual head of the home, that is not an advantage you get to exploit. Oh yeah, you got to do what I say. Or like, It's not an advantage you get to exploit. It's a responsibility that you will be held accountable for. God is going to call you and you know there's going to be your moment and God's going to talk to you and say, okay, how did you parent? What kind of a husband were you? And you're going to have this conversation and you're going to have to give uh, an account of how you led your home, how you led your wife. It, so let's go to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. This is talking about leadership and uh, the responsibility of leadership. Hebrews 13, 7 says, 17, I'm sorry, Hebrews 13, 17 It says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So there are all kinds of different leaders. You know, Heather, our worship leader, sometimes I play on the worship team. If Heather tells me, don't play there, start playing here, I do what she tells me. So it's her responsibility. She will answer to God for how she leads the worship team. Me, as someone on the worship team, will answer to God for how I follow that lead. Now, in the the husband being the spiritual head of the home, this is not an advantage you get to exploit. This is a responsibility you'll be held accountable for. You know, they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. So like for me, I will give an account to God for how I pastor Good Hope Church. You know, I will do that. I will have to give an account. Uh, I will give an account for how I answered God's call. I will give an account for how I father my children, how I am a husband to my wife. I will have to give an account for that. It's a responsibility I have been given. I will be have. I will have to give an account for that. And everyone who has a responsibility will have to give an account for that responsibility. Every husband, every father will give an account to God for how they were a husband, how they were a father. Every Sunday school teacher, worship leader, small group facilitator, anybody who's doing anything, you have a responsibility in the kingdom of God, you will give an account for how you do that. Now, one thing I want to say quickly, and this is along the lines of man up, you know, men go ahead and step up. I've had guys say things to me like, well, I don't want to, you know, like I feel called to ministry, but I don't want to step into ministry because you get, you know, like there's a double judgment that goes on ministry people. And I don't want that double judgment. So I'm not going to go into ministry. Let me tell you, you will be judged on what God calls you to do, not on what you choose to do. If God calls you to be a pastor or a missionary or whatever it is, and you decide, oh man, that's kind of scary. I don't want to open myself to that judgment. I think I'll be, you know, an entrepreneur, a business person. I'll, you know, join the workforce. I'll do this, that you know, whatever it is, when you give an account to God, you will give an account for what he called you to do. If that's being a pastor or a missionary, whatever it is. So let's say God calls you to be a pastor and you become uh, a business owner. And then when you give an account, you're going to give an account for how good of a pastor you were. So you might as well step into the calling God has for you. It's a responsibility you'll be held accountable for. And 
the husband, the father, these sorts of things. It's not an advantage to exploit, just like being a pastor or any other spot where you have some authority. You, you're, it's not uh, something you can exploit. It's a responsibility you'll be held accountable for. So I just want to make sure that you understand that. Old school bullies, you know, that whole concept of I'm the man, I can do whatever I want. That is not going to fly on judgment day. It just isn't, it, it's not biblical. It's not part of the deal. So don't think that's what I'm getting at. I am not getting at that. No bullies, but hey, no wimps either because wimps do not get the job done either. There are too many passive men out there trying to avoid responsibility for their own spiritual growth and their family's spiritual growth. It's not about avoiding responsibility and just, you know, hoping it'll go away. It's right there. No bully, no wimp. Let me tell you, if you make your wife initiate going to church, if you make your wife initiate praying in the home, uh, you know, that sort of stuff, spiritual growth, if you make your wife initiate that, then you are not answering the call. You need to man up and be the one who initiates spiritual growth for, for yourself and for your family. Go ahead and step up. So what does it mean to be the spiritual head of the home? It's really fairly simple. It's just about taking responsibility for your own spiritual growth and for leading your family into the ways of God. Bullies can't do that because when the bully's not around, they don't listen to him. You know, that's the big thing. You're like, oh yeah, well, they always do what I say. Not when you aren't there. You know, when you're not there, they absolutely rebel against everything you say. You know, they might try to make it look like they were doing the right thing, but they're absolutely not. People don't respond to bullies like that. They only follow them when they're there. And wimps, they get ignored while they're there as well as when they're not there. So maybe that's another step worse. Bullies and wimps, it's not going to work. What is it supposed to be? How does it work to be the spiritual head of the home? And uh, it boils down to servant leadership. I want to talk about leadership and this, you know, if it's husband or, you know, father, or if it's mother or worship leader, or, you know, you just have, you're a leader that's for men and women. There's so much types of leadership out there. How do we lead biblically? It's about servant leadership. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 20, my favorite section of scripture about leadership. We're going to start in verse 17 because it, it, uh, it just shows the the importance of it when you start in verse 17. Now, down here at chapter 21, Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. That's a triumphal entry. That's the beginning of Holy Week. So we're here, you know, like the day before, two days before, three days before, I'm not exactly sure, but it's right in there. It's shortly before the triumphal entry. And so Jesus is preparing his disciples to understand what's happening so they can handle it. They're not really catching on. Here we go. Verse 17, chapter 20 of Matthew. Now, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the 12 aside and said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. So how important is this? He's talking about, Jesus is talking about his death and resurrection. This is really important stuff. And you know, they didn't understand it. You know, they, they just didn't understand what was going on when Jesus was crucified and when he rose again. They just didn't understand what was going on. Why not? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 20. 
They weren't paying attention. They were thinking about something else. You ever think about something else when somebody's talking? Are you thinking about something else right now? I don't know. <laughs> Here we go. Chapter, chapter 20, verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? Jesus asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. So what just happened here? You know, probably just over a week away from, well, probably less than a week, I don't know, right around a week away from the crucifixion, Jesus is approached by Peter, I'm sorry, James and John's mother for promotions. You know, <laughs> like, my boys need to have a good spot in your kingdom. You know, like, uh, James and John didn't even do that themselves. They had their mom do it. You know, like, that. that's just like, dude, go ahead and ask for a raise yourself. Don't, don't bring your mom to talk to your boss. You know, like, go ahead and ask for a raise yourself. So James and John, they're basically doing an end around. They're trying to sneak in front of the others to get more important places than the rest of the 12 disciples. And that, you know, that's not good. That's a mess. The other 10 hear about it. And now Jesus has to deal with it. He's trying to teach them about the his death and resurrection. And the, they're talking about, you know, they're just trying to figure out how they can get more important places. They're not paying attention to what's going on. So let's pick it up there. Verse 24, when the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus brings it back around to the cross. He's coming to give his life as a ransom for many. And so here we see that Jesus has to deal with James and John's power grab. And James and John wanted to be they wanted to be great. They wanted to be important. They wanted to get the, the top spots. Does Jesus, you know, rebuke James and John for wanting to be great? He does not rebuke them for wanting to be great. What he does is he helps them understand what true greatness is. He redefines greatness for the 12 disciples. So Jesus says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. So in order to be great in the world, you got to push people around and you got to take what's yours. And, you know, if that means stepping on somebody else, you step on somebody else. And that's what it means to be great and to succeed in the world. That's what it meant. 2,000 years ago, but Jesus says, not with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you. So he's not saying don't be great. He's saying, you want to be great. Yes, you do. You should want to be great. Go ahead and be great. What does it mean to be great? Being great means being a servant. Being first means being the slave of all. 
He's saying greatness is about serving others. So Jesus redefines greatness. He kind of turns it upside down. Now, Jesus didn't just say these sorts of things. He washed the disciples' feet. You know, he put on the towel, the place of the lowest servant, and he washed the disciples' feet. He gave his life as a ransom for many. You know, he didn't expect other people to sacrifice for him. He sacrifices for us to have everlasting life. And so what we see here is Jesus redefining greatness, and we need to grab hold of that idea of what it means to be great. What it means to be great in the kingdom of God is to be a servant leader. Now, Jesus was still Lord. He was a servant, but he was also a leader. He was Lord and he washed the disciples' feet. He was Lord and he laid down his life. So the example Jesus gives in his teachings and his behavior is servant leadership. Now, when I was learning these things, you know, I understood serving. You know, I was, you know, again, that passive, I'm happy being, you know, not in the front. That's great. I can serve. What I didn't understand was leadership. So let's not be short on serving. Serve your family, serve your kids, serve your wife, serve your boss, serve um, your employees, serve, be a servant and be a leader, serve and lead, not short on leadership either. This is the thing I was missing. I knew how to, you know, do what my wife asked me to do. I knew how to comply. I didn't know how to lead. And so I had to learn how to lead. I had to learn how to make hard decisions, how to step up, how to man up. I had to learn that. And it started to go really well. And, you know, as our, you know, as the decades have gone by in our marriage, there have been times where, you know, I've led well and that's really helped her. And there have been times where I've kind of, you know, fell back into old passive habits and that has hurt her. And so I want to go to Ephesians chapter five and talk about that marriage dynamic because it's it's not just about marriage. I think this fits all relationships because the two primary components to a healthy relationship are love and respect. And this is what we see in Ephesians chapter five. And so I want to just take a look at this and really help us understand, you know, what true leadership is and how we can build other people up. Because we serve people not to, you know, debase ourselves, not to, you know, go into false humility and, oh, oh, I'm so pathetic. The reason we serve others is to lift them up. So how do we lift other people up? In Ephesians 5, two great strategies, love and respect. So let's go to Ephesians 5. I'm going to start reading in verse 21, very important verse. And so let's Let's read through this, um, starting in Ephesians 5.21. So I'll just talk as we go. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So who submits to who, according to Ephesians 5.21? Everyone submits to everyone. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So one of the Christian values is preferring others, helping others, serving others, submitting to one another, you know, be someone who gives, be someone who is uh, gracious, be someone who serves, who respects, 
who submits to others. You know, don't be the bully. Don't be the person who's pushing people around. You want to be the one who submits to others, who helps others, who serves others, who is, you know, conscientious and kind. You know, that's who we want to be. So everyone submits to everyone, right? Everyone respects everyone. But then this starts to talk about wives and husbands, and there's a special emphasis on wives respecting their husbands. Now, everyone respects everyone. Everyone submits to everyone, but there's a special emphasis on wives to husbands. Here we go. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And this is what we read, you know, the husband is the head of the wife, like the husband has a responsibility, like, oh man, I guess I better, I mean, I haven't been doing that, I guess I better do that. So we put that into practice. But here it says, you know, wives submit to your husbands. Why would it say that? Let's just jump to uh, verse 33, I want to read that, and then we'll continue on in here. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So, Husbands love your wives, wives respect your husbands. Now, everybody submit to everyone, everyone respect everyone, of course, but there's a special emphasis, wives respect your husbands. Why is that? Because that's what he needs. Men have a respect need. They need to be respected. If they're not respected, it doesn't work. You know, there's a need in there to be respected and it's not the man's fault. It's not my fault. It's not the men's fault that they need to be respected. That's how God made us. Women need to be respected too. But for men, it's primary. It's, it's essential. If a man is not respected, it does them damage. You know, they can slip into either violence or passivity if, if that respect thing isn't working right. And so men have this need to be respected. And when a man is respected, it builds him up. When a man is disrespected, it knocks him down. And we don't want to knock people down. We want to lift them up. So the Bible would say that uh, wives respect your husbands because it builds him up. Now, if we continue reading here with the husband's responsibility, husbands love your wives, verse 25. Husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to prepare her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their bodies just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So clearly, no bullies because the husband loves the wife like Christ loves the church. So very important. That's not bully behavior. So the husband doesn't get to be a bully. His job is to love his wife. I wish the the men would never be able to see what the wives are supposed to do because all the men do is read what the wives are supposed to do. And then the wives read what the men are supposed to do. But let's not do that. Read what your responsibility is. So men, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to love your wife. Now, of course, everyone is supposed to love everyone. You know, John 13, 34, Jesus says, a new command I give you, 
love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. See if I did that right. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. I think I got it. So who loves who? Everybody loves everybody. That's how the way of God is. Everyone loves everyone. That's how it's supposed to work. But husbands, there's a special emphasis on loving your wives. Husbands love your wives. Why? Because she needs that. The love need is real. When that need is not met, it creates a problem. When that love need is met, it builds her up. It strengthens her. Look at what it says here in Ephesians 5. You know, the standard, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Like, that's a high standard. That's a high bar. You know, husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church, you know, and, and went to the cross. That's a high bar. Verse, verse 26, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to pre present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. You know, this is talking about lifting her up, making her more and more as time goes on. So the uh, husband loving the wife builds her up over time. So we want the wives to build up their husbands through respect and love and the husbands to build up their wives through love and respect. So to man up as a husband and as a father is to love and to respect. The wives have a love need, meet that need. Then from manning up, here's another one. Do you want to be respected in your home? Of course you do. Do you want to be respected at work or at school or with your friends? Do you want to be respected? Well, then give them something to work with. <laughs> you know, go ahead and be respectable. Go ahead and be willing to make the hard decision that's the right decision. Be willing to make the sacrifice. Be willing to build up your wife, build up your kids. Take responsibility. Give them something to work with if you want to be respected. So man up, love and respect are where it's at. If it's not working, you know, respect can get distorted into violence or passivity. Love can get distorted into lust or just being completely closed off and not letting anyone in. You know, the world seems to be about lust and power, you know, that pushing your way and the bully thing. The new life is about love and respect, you know, love and respect, not lust and power. Your old life might have been, you know, closed off emotions and passivity. That's not what we want. The new life is about letting people in and taking responsibility for your life and your choices. That's what it means to man up. You can let people in and you can take responsibility for your choices. Love others, respect others, be respectable. So men, on this Father's Day weekend... I don't want you to leave the same. I want you to leave different than you started. So if you're a husband, I want you to talk to your wife. Just talk to her and listen. Listen to her. How's it going? Bet you if you listen to her for 15 minutes, you learn something you didn't know. Ask open-ended questions. Pay attention. Love listens. So talk to her. Admit your shortcomings. Pledge to follow the scriptures. Take your rightful place and do it. Be the leader in the home. Initiate spiritual growth, your own spiritual growth, your wife and your kids' spiritual growth. You be the one that initiates. You be the driving force. Step into that responsibility. You have that responsibility given to you by God. 
So man up into it. So let's close with 1 Timothy 2.8. You know, this is the 2011 NIV. Some of it I like, some of it I don't, you know, not going to get into that. But I was worried that they would have changed this because they got a lot of gender neutral language in the 2011 NIV. And I thought, well, 1 Timothy 2.8, I think is gender specific and they left it gender specific. So isn't that interesting? So, you know, the fancy scholars decided this was gender specific. So let's look at it here. Verse 8 of 1 Timothy chapter 2. Therefore, I want all, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. So what does biblical masculinity look like? Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. So what does biblical manhood look like? Well, here's a small part of it from 1 Timothy 2.8. Be a man of prayer. Pray over your wife. Pray for your wife. Pray over your children. Pray for your children. Pray. Be a man of prayer with holy hands lifted up. That means you're not doing stuff with your hands you're not supposed to be doing. Don't be clicking on stuff you shouldn't be clicking on. Don't be don't be doing things with your hands that you shouldn't be doing. Lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. Not a bully. Someone who is a servant. A servant who leads. Not short on serving others. Not short on leading. A servant leader. That's what it means to man up. So fathers on Father's Day, today's a good day to pledge to walk in biblical masculinity, to be a servant leader in the home, to take on that responsibility. So let's pray. I want to pray for you to man up, for men to man up, for all of us to take the responsibility to step up in the Lord, but specifically for men. So let's close in prayer uh, and we'll finish up our service here. So Heavenly Father, Thank you for your guidance in the scriptures. And Lord, I pray for that man who is uh, trying to make it through life without self-respect and without feeling the respect of others. Lord, that is a real need that we have in us that is the same as uh, a woman not loving herself and not feeling love from this world. It's the same hole in the heart. And so, Lord, for those who do not feel that respect, I pray, Lord, that you would just bring healing into their hearts right now and you would help them to step up into a place where they can make, uh, they have the strength to make the decisions to gain self-respect and respect from others, that they could be servant leaders, that they would not be short on serving others and not be short on being a leader. Lord, help them to step up, to man up, to take the reins, to be the spiritual initiator in their own lives and in the lives of those they have influence over, the lives of those in their family. Lord, bless the men and help them to step up in that way from this day forward. I pray, Lord, that you would bring revival among the men, that they would be able to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing, but trusting and honoring you, serving others, and being respectable. So, Lord, let that be. Let there be a revival among men. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.